Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast and another episode of the Late Night Ramble. I am joined today by a very special guest, very excited to have him on. Uh, I've been wanting to get him on for for ages now, really since the start. Um, he started his own podcast with Birmingham Mail, AVFC Extra, which has been fantastic and had some really, really interesting guests and really interesting insight. We've got Mr. James Rushton. Hi, James. How are you doing, mate? Thank you. Very, very nice introduction, mate. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's an honor. Uh, ever since you started, I was like, please get me on this. It's like Jimmy Kimmel Live, but for uh, Villa fans. <laughs> I listen to it on a, a go to clear my head. I go on these like, late night drives. I don't know if you're allowed to say that anymore in lockdown. Are you allowed to just go out for no reason? Oh, I don't know. Oh, uh, just do what you want, mate. Yeah, yeah. Everyone do, else is. <laughs> but I, put, I put it on and I like drive around past Aston Minworth and come back and I listen to it uh, under the night sky. And it, yeah, it has to, honestly, it's been an amazing podcast. I, I think the, the best thing I like about it is like just how natural it is. And, you know, hearing the guests, it's like listening to the radio. And I, I like it, being in the podcast game, you listen to other podcasts and I think you take other things from it. But like, there's nothing to take naturally from Villa Talks. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think it's just so organic and natural. And it's just the fan's voice properly, the fan's voice, but presented so professionally. I, I love it, man. And, I, you know, it's, it's an absolute honour to come on. So thank you. No, thank you, man. That means that means a lot coming from you. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I came to you a lot before we st- before I started it to get to your, your advice and, and tips as well, because, you know, I really, 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 admire what you've done in your career so far and I know it's early stages of your career as well but some of the writing that you've done some of the work that you've done has been fantastic and you know I, I came to you first definitely and uh and I wanted to get your ideas of what what it should look like and what I needed to do and you know this this has always been about the fans really Villa Talks it's always been about making showcasing the fans opinions and you know I think we've got some really knowledgeable fans out there uh, um and obviously not some not so knowledgeable as well, like everywhere else, but you know, but, <laughs> but plenty of knowledgeable fans out there. And it was just a platform for them to uh, have their have their have their views and uh, opinions aired, really. Firstly, James, uh before we start, really, I suppose how's how's lockdown been for you and in, in your current role? And it must have been quite challenging, uh being all being all remote and, and everything, not being allowed to go to games, not being yeah. allowed to to see people. Yeah, it's uh it's been tough. Like I'm not gonna give anyone any airs and graces that you know, every job in lockdown has been tough. You know, at the start, seeing like, your mates get furloughed in other jobs and get furloughed in the same role, and you got to carry on, take on new responsibilities, do this and that. I mean, I joined in January. I went into the office like three times because I worked from home quite a lot anyway. Then there's lockdown. Then I've got a new job in the company that's been under lockdown. That like it has been completely at home. Like I haven't seen. You can probably tell from the state of me, I haven't seen much outside this room, to be fair. Like, this has just been like a little island for me. So it's just been everything, all football, all the time. Um, Apart from that little break in the summer, uh, it has just been constant, constant, constant. But um, for my my situation, it's been better than I I think most people. So I'm not going to sit here and complain. But yeah, it has been, it's been tough. It's been tough for everyone. But look, um, I mean, I'm in a job I always wanted to do. I'm working from home. There's not a great deal of commitments outside of that um, because of lockdown. So, you know, 
it's been a kind of I don't know a easier ride I guess than most people so yeah I can't complain too much Omar um you, you mentioned your uh, your new role um it'd be interesting to hear um, before we go into that and, and what you're currently doing just interested to hear how you started off going down this path really uh just be interested what well, you know what did you first start doing when did you first think about getting into media uh, you know what what sort of inspired that route if you like it's, it's amazing actually i never wanted to write about football i never wanted to be i wanted to be like an author um writing comic books and stuff i never wanted to be a, like a football writer never wanted to work in football um I've always loved football, but I never wanted to be in the media around it. The way I got in, that I got into media was through radio. I wanted to like interview musicians. I used to work at Kerrang Radio. I worked there from, I think, like I was 16 when I turned up at the door, but I was just begging them, please take me on uh, as work experience as anything. I want to interview all my favorite musicians. And I got the chance to do so. So, uh, you know, from there, I didn't look back. The, the station actually moved to london which is really heartbreaking for me because you know i couldn't move with it i was like 21 i couldn't move to london with the station especially if i'm like in a voluntary internship so i, I couldn't follow that so i kind of had to like diversify and then i found you know that football writing didn't have to be stuffy it didn't have to be what i thought it would be which was just kind of just retelling the events it, it is retelling the events but you know you see writers even in the past which i took for granted and putting so much flair in, even people I work with today, like Matt Kendrick, Greg Evans, putting that flair in, describe get, getting Villa across to people in in their own way. And I took that massively for granted before I joined, um, before I even started writing about football. Um, but I started writing about football because, you know, I think I wanted more of an attachment with my granddad, with my dad. We all love football, but they, they seem to be able to speak about it so naturally. And I always found it really, really difficult. So I started blogging with um, 7,500 to Holt because I didn't have a job as well. I'd applied for loads of jobs outside after, after um, finishing university. Couldn't get anything at all. And I felt really kind of, I would say miserable, um, to be completely blunt. And I wanted I wanted the purpose and I wanted to find something to do that used my talents, which was I, I knew I could write. People always pushed me, don't do this radio stuff, do writing because you know, you, you do it naturally and I, you know, you never take that, you never take that advice at the time because you always want to do your own thing. Um, but I settled down, went for that and, you know, I haven't looked back since. I never, even writing for 7500 and blogging and doing the podcast on the side, you know, I, people always say, you're looking for a job in, in the media and for, for most people, I think that's true. I, I definitely know for a lot of people that's true. For me, uh, no, no chance. Like I just wanted to, write tell a story connect with my family a bit more about the things we loved and that's how how we did it so yeah um just haven't looked back since i started writing it you know i started writing at 21 27 now so and this is the first year that i've been in professionally so six years it took me and i started late if you think about some of the people who are starting 14 and 15 blogging you know it's it's crazy so been a bit of a late bloomer but it's been a mad yeah it's it's went really quickly and i'm in a position i never thought i would be and i feel really kind of privileged to be in it to be honest yeah i mean i mean for, for me personally it was it was definitely your writing that stood out to me and, and got you noticed for, for me a casual villa fan you know just reading the internet going on twitter that kind of stuff uh, and reading some of your articles that you wrote and i thought wow you know this is this is really professional. This is really this is better than a lot of what's out there from professional media outlets. 
Um, do you think that's what got you noticed and that's what got you into the position that you're in now? I mean, how did you transition from doing that sort of on a casual basis, almost on a, you know, like you say, not professional basis, amateur basis, if you like, uh, doing it as a hobby uh, and then transitioning into what you're doing now in terms of a professional job, being in actually in the media and working for someone like, you know, or Reach PLC or Birmingham Mail, you know, whatever you want to call them. How was that? How was that transition transition happened? I guess I'm not going to sit here and say I got fed up with everything I was reading because I didn't like if you're a blog, you rely on the news that I now produce to kind of keep yourself going outside of the opinion pieces and stuff. So it was just like I want I think at the start of the the our first Premier League season, so the start of last season, like something ticked in my mind. So this is last August now, which just seems so far away, but it, it, you know it's relatively recent. Last August, I just decided, uh, you know what, on this blog, the seventy five hundred hole, I want it to look professional. I want it to be everything you'd expect from the Birmingham Mail. I want it to be everything you'd expect from the Athletic. I think that the Athletic being made was a real like kick up my backside because I felt like, you know, if you pay to see your Villa news, you pay you to you know read read quality things you know if you've if you've taken that leap there's a chance that you won't read my blog anymore because you've made an investment into something and you're committed to that and you know that's not me trying to like go to war with them at all it was just like i've got to step up the game actually and, and be a bit more professional and i saw that you know in terms it was a blog network sb nation we worked for so there was some responsibility in a role to write, you had things to you had targets to meet. Not, not necessarily like the same as the Birmingham Man in terms of clicks and stuff, but like you could see when you were dropping off. And you know, as my interest waned in like the promotion season, because I wanted to go to get, I wanted to be at every game and throw myself into every game. You know, I think when, by the time the Premier League came around, I, I felt like I'd slacked off to enjoy and to indulge overindulge in football a bit. So when the Premier League season came around, I just threw myself in. And to be honest, you know, that's that's when um, Greg Evans reached out to me and started sharing my, my work. And for someone, like, you'd always rallied almost, like, counterculturally against the mainstream media. You didn't want to be noticed by Matt or Greg or anyone. You wanted to be praised by the fans. I was being praised by the fans for years, and I, I saw, like, a job come up at Villa and, like, 30 people. I mean... 29 of those I probably didn't know were tagging me in it. It was crazy, but it, it didn't get me anywhere. So I felt I need to step up. And Greg Evans actually reached out to me, like to give me tips and advice. And I never, I never ever had that before. I'd never had anyone kind of step in. And for him to do that was pretty cool. Um, so from then on, I felt like I can step it up further. I'm getting people who are paying attention, speaking to me. I, I stepped it up to the point where in January 2020, so the start of this year, a role came up at the Birmingham Mail. And I thought, you know what, that's a lot of pressure for me, but I'm sick of working in offices. I'm sick of not having got anywhere. I'm sick of having I've left university and not got done anything with my degree. Um, I'm sick of having blogged and everyone backed me for so long and me not even able to pay them back and be, be able to say I've got anywhere from it. So I think I, I was in two minds about taking it when I was offered it. I went through it and I didn't look back, but to be honest, a lot of it is getting lucky as well and being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. You say that, um, you know, I remember that. I remember all of that, to be honest. I remember mm. everyone tagging you in that post. Uh, and I, I remember, you know, cause it was, it was obvious you were right for the job or you, you know, you were the best contender because of what your writing had, had been like in the last 18 months before that. 
Um, and, and then to see you uh, get a role of Birmingham Mail, my worry for you was, you know, I was so used to seeing you almost write these amazing pieces of written prose, if, if you like, uh, uh, you know, really, really eloquently put together, really thought provoking, you know, and really, really enjoyable to read to then go to the Birmingham Mail, who I, hmm. I remember from the Bill Howdales, you know, how they changed from, from then to now. Where before is more like a tabloid. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, you know, sort of, uh, they did have those uh, clickbait headlines, but it was more like a normal tabloid paper. To them being this online presence, where there was a lot of clickbait headlines mm. uh, and a lot of people moaning about where the Birmingham Mail was going. And then to see you get a role there, I was thinking, I hope he doesn't. I hope his work doesn't get diluted. Uh, and you know, he's able to be himself at, at Birmingham Mail. And, and to be honest, I think that's what you you have been yourself. You've been able to get your style out there and being able to to do what you want to have that creative influence how has that been for you to be able to have that input into you know a big company like right reach plc or you know birmingham mail yeah i think it was scary at the time because obviously i've come from the same perspective as you into this job thinking you know what to be completely blunt and you know without doing anyone down i thought have i betrayed not to big myself up here but i was like have i betrayed everyone by doing this like that's gent because you know, the Birmingham Mail does get a lot of hate, a genuine amount of specific hate from some sectors. And, you know, you, you, you're coming from that background where you have been on the outside in that faction and to join, you know, you can't say really say no. Um, but when you, you, you get into it and you look at it, it's like I, I could write 3,000 words and if the headline's wrong, the piece, it could be beautiful, it could be everything that you said. And thank you for the kind words, by the way. Um, but it could be all the things you said if it's headline wrong the headline's wrong no one's going to read it and they're going to go into the same thoughts anyway and what you get is a clickbait rag like underneath it so that that kind of killed those illusions instantly then you could just lose the lose the labels just get on with the work you just tell the news as it is get as much news out as you can and write it as good as you can my challenge was to even get like i don't like the word trashiest but we have, we, we have to cover everything well i had to cover everything was to write it as good as i could like to put everything into it no matter if it was 150 words just to do justice by it because that's how people get their information they get it via twitter if they're not on twitter they're getting it via the website because you know we we might find little things and laugh at it on twitter the mainstream audiences probably aren't getting that so to kind of put everything into it and tell it kind of from the heart keep all those blogging instincts and just get it out there you know it was a point of pride to be fair like i won't lie to you it, it was it was nice to be able to kind of put my own spin on things and get noticed for that as well yeah yeah and, and you know fair play to i mean from the outside looking in it, it appears to me that someone like matt kendrick who's obviously very established and very experienced and someone i really am really fond of uh, because i think he really gets the villa fan base he's a villa mm. fan he really un understands the villa fan base and, and sort of the heartbeat of the villa fan base and is able to put that across professionally because he's excellent at what he does i think he's obviously seen that where Birmingham Mail was headed and sort of the criticism they were getting and to get yourself and, and someone like Daniel Rollison involved as well. I think, you know, those, those are two Villa fans who are at the heart of the Villa fan base, again, doing stuff outside of normal media to then be brought into sort of mainstream media is a really good move. And I don't know if it was Matt Kendrick's um, idea or not, or whoever I did, whosever idea it was, but I think that's a fantastic move and, and really bodes well for, for the future of, of Aston Villa content. And we've seen that with the Claret Blue podcast and now the AVFC Extra podcast, which are both excellent. There've been some fantastic podcasts. And I really think generally, you know, obviously I've started a Villa podcast. It's only been two months, but for me, this is more of a hobby and just a way to sort of um, 
express my views and get and really offer a platform more, more than anything for other fans but i think you know avfc extra and claren bloom and 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 places like the villa view as well you know these are really you know almost becoming mainstream in their own right uh, and to be able to have interviews like the one you did with Gabby Agbonlahor with the recent one with Gareth Barry you know I think you really st- really stepped up the game when it comes to podcasts as well and I think, I think everyone is really trying not not to outdo each other but realizing that you know it's really up to everyone's game I think and this is a point we were making on on Twitter uh, just a few days ago when we were having this conversation with uh, Mark Jarobi from uh, from um, under the gaslit lamp um, around Villa podcast and the sudden influx of Villa podcast. So actually, I think competition is really good and having that community spirit where everyone's trying to help each other, support each other, and ultimately bring the best Villa fan content out there is going to is is just is 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 the, for the betterment of the Villa fan base. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I feel like there is kind of an angle where someone might get into the game. Like I call it the game. Like I'm on Tony Soprano or something. Nah, I just say it like that. Um, but someone kind of starts a podcast and they think I am going to beat everyone or I'm going to get the most views and this and that. But like, you can't go in with that mindset. Like I'd have, when I write, when I do stuff, you have to do it for the the community. Like I've, if you follow me, you know, you know, my politics, you know, it's community oriented. My personality is all about communities, uh, kind of integrating with other people. Like it can never be about challenging uh, there's a competitive spirit don't get me wrong there is always going to be a competitive spirit and banter but it has to if you're starting something from the ground up it, ha- it if you're getting involved with Aston Villa you're getting involved with a fan base and it cannot be you it has to be the whole it can't just be James's podcast Dan's podcast Matt's podcast Omar's podcast you've you've come out here and it's not been about you it's even though it's your podcast you've made it about everyone else that's success straight there. You've got, you've nailed it. You've got it out there. And people, I think, are getting the idea of that. I've seen a podcast that's about, I forgot the name now. There's there's a lot of podcasts, as you said. Um, but there's a podcast that interviews, I think, like Lions Clubs and Supporters Clubs. And that's really interesting to me. You know, there's the Irish, um, the Paul McGrath one. Oh, Paul, yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's a few. There's, uh, there's, there's, um, there is uh, for the love of Paul McGrath, which is uh, Neil uh, Neil's up, and I've been on the Villa View with him, and he's a fantastic, great bloke, and really entertaining conversations they have. Him and Paddy are fantastic, uh, fantastic entertainment. Then you've got uh, Witten to Rotterdam pod- podcast as well, which is uh, basically looking at fans globally around around the world and getting them involved and getting their views about what it's like to support Villa from from a different place in, in the world. And, and there's plenty out there as well. We've had Villa together on here, obviously as well. So there's so many out there. Villa Kids Pod as well, which I know you've been on. Which is uh, fantastic, you know, really well put together, uh, and 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 you know, just great to see. But you know, it's like you say, it's a community, isn't it? It's it's about having, it's it's about getting the best for the Villa fan base. Yeah, like you can't come in and have a goal of overtaking anyone. You like you couldn't set up a YouTube channel and your goal be let's beat the Villa view. I mean, that is admirable. But what you've got to do is find your slot alongside it. It's a t- it's one TV channel that you're appearing alongside you're all BBC shows. If you get what I mean, you know, no one's changing across, you know, you're not ITV. You can't steal that audience. There's one audience. It only exists for, you know, your, your channels. And I think Villa fans are pretty cool because what Villa fans do is if they don't just have one podcast, they don't just have one book. They don't just have one TV show. If it's about Villa, they're consuming it. They're reading it. They're getting involved. And Villa fans I've found are probably one of the, 
better educated fan bases in terms of listening to other fans' views because they will tune into everything. They will disagree. They'll make it clear that they're disagreeing, but they will tune into everything. And I think that is admirable because there's a lot of fan bases out there where there's been something that's existed for... you know, in the, in the manner of my old man said, there's an established blog. They will stick to that. There's some fan bases that will just have that one blog. That one blog's word is the gospel. And they will listen to that blog's podcast and nothing else and nothing else can survive. Villa's different. Villa has that. Villa has everything. And, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing to exist in this space. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think uh, on that point, it's a really, really good point and really poignant point as well, because I think, Villa fan base is so such a diverse fan base in terms of the people that support Villa from ac- across the world, but also you know the sort of backgrounds they have as well. For example, my old man said is is probably one of my favorite podcasts, and it definitely caters to to me uh, as a fan my age, I would say, and maybe slightly older as well. But then you've got the Villa View, which I think is more uh, more of a sort of a mass market. Uh, podcast like the Claret and Blue podcast as well, I would say, and, and then you've got other podcasts as well, maybe for a bit more of the younger crowd as well. Uh, you know, um, you've got um, the Holt cast, you've got uh, um, seven, you've got um, Under the Gaslit Lamp, you've got so many out there. Heart of the Holt Villa Filler podcast. There's, I, I, there's so many to name, but they're, they're all they're all catering for the, sort of the different different markets, and, and I think that's great to see. But I suppose just before we we sort of move on to sort of the news of the week so far just it'd be good to understand a little bit about what your current role is now and what you're doing and and, you know where do you want to go in your in your career i don't know i think i had this argument with someone on twitter um about something and they said um no you got to be careful because your role might not exist in a year funnily enough it didn't exist my role went um but I'd have been, you know, I've achieved everything I've to not like sell my ambition down the road. I've achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. I never expected to be here. Like I'm just here for a good time, not not a long time, if you know what I mean. Like I, I've come here. I've been put my granddad's, my you know, my grandparents have seen me published in a newspaper. Um, I got to show one of my grandparents that before he passed away earlier this year. So that was an incredible experience for me. That you know, thinking you're not going to achieve this then achieving it all of a sudden in a really quick time frame, then writing a lead piece in the Birmingham Mount about a League Cup final. That's been that's been special to me. Um so, you know, it has been amazing. I don't know where we go next, but um we'll see what happens. But right now I'm at the what is my job title now? It's audience engagement producer at Reach PLC. So it's gonna be overseeing podcasts at Reach wide. So Man City ones, Clarence Blue of course even our Huddersfield Town ones, stuff like that, making sure it's all coherent, does the same things, reaches a fan base and engages. So it's a complicated role. Um, there's a lot going on. It can be anything from data uploads to kind of quality checks on our on our content and just dragging us into a better place company-wide because I think, look, you, we've brought it up in this podcast. I think there is, there is a taboo. The, the media has went in one direction. That's chasing ads, chasing clicks, and it might be hiding to nothing. So it's future-proofing the company, making it more engagement, making your deal as a reader a lot better, I think, and hopefully the fruit should emerge, the work should emerge in the uh, in the short-term future of what we're trying to do. That's great. No, that's really great. And, uh, you know, that's great what you said about your, your, your grandparent as well. No one can take that away from you as well. So, you know, I think you should be really, really proud of what you've done so far. And like you said, I know you said you're here for a, for a good time rather than a long time, but let's hope it's both. Um, 
for, for definitely from our perspective you know we we want you to continue to put out there some excellent work that you're doing and and i really think you know you, your point around clickbait and and sort of future proofing the company I, I definitely think the fan base is engaged in a completely different way this year to to the birmingham mail um i i think that the likes of uh you know yourself dan rollinson matt kendrick ashley priest you know i think fans uh r- relate to them that you know you're you're all villa fans you understand the fan base and the content that you're putting out there the questions that you're asking in the podcast the guests that you're getting on it's all things that villa fans want to see so i think that can only bode well for for you and the company but for the company itself and as long as they stay that way i understand you know obviously there's a big company behind it all and they have their agenda and all that kind of stuff but as long as you're there involved then i think the quality will shine through and, and we hope that's the case going forward uh, speaking of, of villa media then uh, i suppose it's a good good segue into the villa news of the week so far we've had some some interesting news come out this week firstly today we had the announcement of the tier restrictions and i think most people expected birmingham to be in tier three let's be honest given what's happened in the last seven eight months um and and how birmingham suffered really in in this covid environment i mean what are your what are your thoughts on that and you know how sad is it to see villa fans not being able to come to the grounds even if it would would have been in small numbers it's heartbreaking, um, to be honest. Uh, I'm, in the big picture, is such a minor thing. Like in the the scale of everything we've seen this year, um, everything happened. Villa fans not been allowed in. In the big picture, you, it's like you couldn't care less. But remembering, like all the times when you go down and how fun it is. I mean, I've made jokes myself on the podcast about forgetting little things about the football experience, like eating a pie. Like, come on, like who does that anymore? Who does that at football? Is that even a thing? It is. It is a real thing that we've lost. Um, we've lost a whole year of footballing culture. We're never going to get it back. And if it comes back, is it going to be the same thing? So it's really difficult. So it, there's so many takes on the situation. I've seen one that said, and I agree, that some clubs can't wait for the money. They need, in this is below the Premier League, some teams in tier two areas will need to have home fans without away fans to just exist. They'll need ticket income. They'll need some form of income. Um, not including on the ins and outs of it, but they, they do need money. They're not getting that same TV money that, Premier League clubs are going to be getting but then there's a, a side where it says it's not fair to not allow away fans into these tier two stadiums it's you know it gives a, a competitive advantage seeing people saying that if baggies go down they should sue because they would have an, a, a disadvantage in playing in tier two areas so yeah it's a complex matter and I think the best thing to do would have just not to been not to allow it as silly as that seems because you know, it, it doesn't serve anyone any 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 genuine goal if it's split like this. It 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 just dilutes it. Or some matches are going to be better than others. Some matches are going to be more authentic than others now. And then it is football is an unequal experience, and this is one that a further level of weird inequality we we forced because football it's an outdoor thing. We're going to be wearing masks. We can't sing shout there anymore. So I don't see the harm if I'm being completely honest. But then I see you know, the, the state of the, the COVID cases and all that. So it, it, it is tough. It, like, I'm not I'm not saying it was an easy decision to come to, but to let some places have fans in and others is really weird for me. It's strange. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and I think the it's, it's a bit of a weird one, definitely, because I think the a lot of people thought it wouldn't be until March, at least, before we saw fans in back in the stadium. And then suddenly now we're faced with 
you know, games over the Christmas period, having fans in. And, and you're right, you know, some fans, you know, or, or it won't happen for Monday, but potentially we could have seen if, you know, the game, West Ham game was a week later, we could have seen West Ham fans having you know, several thousand fans at the stadium. And then if it was at Villa's ground, no fans. So it doesn't really make sense because one of the, I suppose one of the uh, rare positives of what's happened, and, and it is a small positive, I know what, given what's happened, uh, it's been the equal footing that the Premier League's been on. Uh, in terms of clubs, you know, not having fans there, it's meant the games have been uh, much more open, uh, and you've seen plenty of shock results. And and you know, the, the table reflects what's going on in the league. The, the fact that you know teams are winning games that you wouldn't expect them to win, and and it's a really interesting league. And, and I know the fans aren't there, so it's a bit diluted, and it, and it really is diluted. Don't get me wrong, but it's a really interesting to watch. And and the fact now it's going to be some clubs are going to have fans, some are not going to have it. It's going to take away from it a little bit as well. And it's just not, I don't think it's fair. And I don't think it's been thought through at all. Um, you know, they, they've, they haven't thought about it. They, you know, I, I get your point about outdoor and all that kind of stuff. And for me personally, I, I still think there's, you know, you can definitely get fans in, in the stadium, but you know, we have to be careful because we're so close to a vaccine as well. Um, you know, you, you don't want to, there's so many lives that can be saved now. Uh, potentially so you don't want to take too many risks uh, at the same time but it's just it's just frustrating really and I'm sure it's frustrating for Villa fans because we you know we want to be there in the stadium and singing and even then you know those fans who are going there like you said they're not allowed to sing they're not allowed to eat there they're not allowed to drink there they're not to really enjoy themselves so I don't really see the point of having fans there it doesn't make any sense I, I suppose other news this week as well uh, we've seen uh, sort of going away from that has been uh, quite a bit of sad news really and and frustrating news being part of a villa fan base has always for me been very diverse uh, and this is not just about diversity and race and religion it's about other things as well um in terms of homophobia and uh, other things as well other aspects you know we've seen the the hate crime stats that have come out and uh, you know villa topped the, the top the table with 13 i think it was crimes reported which is quite a small number in the grand scheme of things but obviously it's probably reflective of a bigger problem um i mean how do you see that? I mean, there's, there's two ways you can think about it. One is that Aston Villa have got a problem, which I, I do think we do from what I've seen at the grounds and on Twitter as well. But also another way to look at it is the fact that actually uh, Aston Villa fans are, are good people and they're willing to call it out. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, it was really upsetting seeing it. It was really upsetting seeing people apply the clip back tag to it um, because it said Villa top the table then it was quote unquote only 13 so they got really like annoyed and pissed off about that like, like 13 wasn't a big number 13 is a big number when it comes to hate crimes because that means I think if you were to lay it out like this that's um, I, from what I understand the majority of those happened during one game so that was I think it was Villa versus Spurs so a lot of those happened during one game but um, if you were to break it down that's 13 days ruined if you were to break it down game by game, out of 19 home games at Villa Park, 13 of them, if one hate crime happened per game, that's the majority of home games. It's not acceptable. If you were to break it down even further, say someone from the local area, probably from you know a second, third generation immigrant went to their first Villa game, got abused because of their race or another characteristic and has now left with a negative experience, a hugely negative experience of the Villa following. You know, it's easy to support Liverpool or Arsenal. It's rather than the club on your doorstep because you're, you you can attach yourself parasocially to a club and not have to have to deal with that that type of thing. Um, I think it is a it's, it's a tremendous shame, and I would say we're in 2020 and we should be forgetting it. But I feel like we've regressed. I feel like this wasn't happening. I may I may be blind to it. Maybe it's like that privilege that I'm blind to it. 
this didn't seem to happen when I was going to games in 2007. Like, it, it is insane to think that. I feel like it has been just such a symptom of the world since, like, 2010. Like, it is just everyone thought the Olympics solved every, you know, hate crime problem England have, but there's been a serious, serious rise in some really negative things. I think I don't want to take the experience away from anyone who's been you know, a victim of a hate crime, but you see even yourself when you mention stuff about food banks, you mention stuff about black footballers and you get called, you know, all sorts of names. You get, you know, get, get accused of this uh, term called cultural Marxism. You get called a Marxist. You get hit with all these things. Um, that's only increased and it is seeping. It is seeping into our, into every aspect of our society. So it doesn't surprise me that 13 times, someone reported a hate crime directly related to Aston Villa. It doesn't surprise me at all um, because you see, as you said, Omar, you see it a lot on our Twitter. You see people claim to be stewards having far-right politics and not fighting, not batting this stuff down, not fighting against it like they they probably would have done 10 years ago just to save face. It's legitimised genuine hatred. And, you know, for me, the, the, the shallow thing for me is it gives our the club over there, Birmingham City, the chance to say that racist club Aston Villa again. It just, it is just, that is the skin, the shallowest thing. The worst thing is it's genuinely harming people. It's genuinely harming people who are beloved Aston Villa supporters, you know, and to, to kind of make the po- the points more, cut, cut myself off there. Um, people always want to disown these people. And I know I'm going on a, a little bit of a rant now. People always go, they're not real Villa fans, but they are. They're Villa fans who are going to games. They're they're investing in Aston Villa. They're not to say that you're not a real fan if you don't go to games, but they're making an investment in games, in fixtures to attend. They're attending away buses on coaches. They're going to all the away games. They are re- the, the the most real Aston Villa fans that you can imagine. That's what hurts the most. That they are our club, and we try and disown them, and we can't because they are attached. And I don't know what the solution is. I really don't, and that that scares me. And I don't know how you feel, because I'm sitting here as a, a member of the uh, mainstream media. I'm white. I can go to Villa games, and the worst thing that you know is attached to me is, is I'm, a, I'm a lefty. That's it. And you know, I don't think anything bad will happen to me. But for other fans, I can't say the same. You know, I mean, it might only happen once. But we had a, a Villa fan stabbed in the face on an away coach, and he was white. So. Well, who's, who's to know what could happen? It's It does terrify me, but the, the, the positive is the Villa fan base, from my experience, is an amazingly warm place. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I mean, I would, I'd be lying if I say it hasn't affected me because I've grown up uh, as a Villa fan. You know, my dad supported Villa. You know, he took me to my first Villa game and, and it's something very close to my heart, not only because it's Aston Villa and I love the club, but also because it's it's something I shared with my dad, who's, who's no longer here as well. And, and, you know, it means a lot to me. Um, and, and to me, it's always been growing up. It's been a club that's been quite a diverse, uh, diverse club. You know, the, the games that we used to go to, we used to go with my dad's friends and, you know, one was black, one was white. My dad was Asian. And then we had the, all the kids as well. And it was a really diverse set of fans that went. And I thought this was what Villa was like. It was like a family. And it was like, uh, you know, you could be anyone. You could be part of the Villa family. And I always thought in my head and the way that Birmingham City was perceived was, you know, they were sort of not the lesser club, but, you know, they had definitely had more racist fans and more fans and more hooligans and all that kind of stuff. And 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 now then to see suddenly grown up to then see what's happened to the fan base and 
what's going on. This news has been reported and, and then Birmingham fans say, no surprise, it's typical racist villa. They've always been like this. And I'm like, I'm thinking, sitting here thinking, what the hell, what's going on? Like, this is my club. How can it be like this? You know, I've gone to games against Millwall where they've sat, sat there and they've stood and chanted, you know, racist chants for 45 minutes, for 90 minutes. And I've been in the, the away stand and I've seen Villa fans looking around and getting angry. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is my club. And then suddenly to see this, you know, is concerning. And, and you know, I suppose playing devil's advocate, you know, maybe you're talking about 2007, 2008, you know, I was a season ticket holder back in those days. And, and I definitely think, you know, it was a different place. The world was a different place. You could probably get away with a lot more and things weren't seen as... Uh, you know, when it's critiqued as much as they were now, but but I think that's a good thing. It means that people are getting more aware of what's right and what's wrong and, and how, how it makes people feel. You know, things like homophobia, for example. You know, I remember seeing Matty Upson play and, and things that were chanting at him. And, and I, you know, I probably said it myself, to be honest. You know, I wasn't really thinking too much of it and I was a, I was quite young then. But, you know, that was just normal place for football. And I think that's hopefully being stamped out. But, you know, people. Some people will say, "Oh, you know, it's it's, it's you know, like I said, lefties or or the woke media or left leaning policies, right leaning policies." I don't really believe in that kind of thing. I think it's more about how it makes the the people who are it's affecting feel, and, that, and that's the most important thing. If they, you know, if they if they turn around and they say, you know, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't really mean too much to me. I don't really care. Then you know, we're fair enough. Who are we to to you know get uh, offended for them? But. If they're, if they're coming out and they're, they're saying it, which they are, and I think you can see that with what's going on. We'll come on to it in a second as well with the work that Tyron Mings has done. You know, if they're saying this is affecting us, this impacts us, this is you know this this is negative for us and we don't like it, then you've got to listen to that because they're the people who are being effective. It's not you that's being affected. It's not, it's not you know, you, you're sitting there. You, you may not be saying these things. You may not be involved in it. But for you to pass judgment on how it makes someone else feel, I think is wrong. I think it's about those individuals and those people and the fact that we've got someone like Tyrone Mings here who's been such a big part of the Black Lives Matter movement here in the UK and what football's been done what's been done in football and, and that first game against Sheffield United where you know it was a off-the-cuff thing you know they 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 put their this they got down on one knee that wasn't pre-planned or anything like that they did that together just before the game you know, we've got someone like Tyrone Mings who's leading that and is up for an award at the footballers blacklist um awards uh, I think it's a Cyril Regis award uh, the football blacklist, you know, the, the fact that he's doing that kind of work and have that someone, that person associated with our club and then to see this, I mean, how do you think it makes someone like that feel? Terrible. Uh, to, you know, to be completely honest, awful. I think it's lost on people how much of a cultural icon Tyron Mings is becoming for a lot of people. You know, he, look, there is probably some framing elements to it, to being photographed at a rally but he's doing it for a reason and he knows that the weight of his persona, he knows the weight of his name, he knows the reputation he has. All I've seen him do with it is just enormously positive things. He has stepped out, you know, he's stepped across so many lines that just were seemingly unforgivable. Like having taken a stance on politics, taken a stance on what's good, he wasn't expected that footballer should do this, especially because everything was... Um, you know, sunshine and rainbows from 2007 to 2010, you know, footballers just didn't do this thing. Tyron Minx is, you know, he, he has done so much work in the community, so much work for, you know, young kids wanting to get in football, so much work for people wanting to get into business, so much work for people I know personally, you know, with Dan Rollinson, like he reached out to him for no, for no reason to give him a shot when no one was giving Dan a shot. Um, he's, kept abreast of situations he's never confrontational he's just humble the way he, you know i could speak here for hours omar about tyron mings and we won't even get onto football 
It's just the impact he has on society. I think that is a loss because of so many hectic things that have happened since 2015, how everything is a massive deal. It is a loss on how big Tyron Mings is culturally. And I think we won't really respect that until he's not an Aston Villa player or he's retired, in all honesty. He has been a, uh, a massive figure for me personally because I look at him and I think that is an action that's that guy's a hero off the pitch and we we don't ever speak about that do we no one speaks about that no one says this this guy is socially a responsible person and he's an absolute he's spot on with everything he says or nothing he says is just off base he comes at you with pure facts and no one can deny it and you know for him to be the first guy taking a knee for him to be taking a stand at a club like Aston Villa where we've just spoke about the hate crime stuff it's massive and it's it's almost like a contrast. It's like there is a, there's a minority of fans doing this stuff off the pitch and one of our heroes on the pitch, someone who will wear the armband when Jack Grealish isn't playing, well, the cap, one of the leaders of our club, is taking a stand. It's, it's, a, it's a complete mad contrast and it deserves all the plaudits coming. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, there's also been obviously the stuff he's done on mental health as well, which has been... You know, I'm sure I'm sure it's saved many lives. You know, the work that he's done on that side of things as well, you know, how he's spoken out around that. And, you know, he's right. He's so measured in how he approaches subjects and how he measure uh, how he uh, how he talks about matters. You know, you saw just a couple of weeks ago with uh, what happened with, you know, the uh, the head of the FA and the comments that he came out with. And, and literally, I think it was like an hour later, Tyron Mings was in front of the, in front of the press and, and, it, and it came out just before. Uh, his his press conference and he was obviously faced with a barrage of questions around that and he came across so well and, you know he didn't respond in a in a really emotional way and 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 you know say something he'd later regret he came with it with a bit of bit of uh, perspective and, and like I say you know he said you know he should feel he should feel you shouldn't be saying those things in, in this current environment um, and it shows the way you know where we have to go as a as a community and as a country and as a as a people and the fact he's able to see say those things and act as a proper leader you know with a bit of diplomacy and. And like a level head is is so good to see and, and bodes well for us as as a football club um going forward in terms of what he's able to offer a villa off the pitch as well. And and you see these these some of these posts and I've seen this as well, and which is again, I'm not trying to take a negative slant on it, but you see people, you know, the stuff some of the stuff he's come out with and, and some people say, you know, stick to football, you know, you, you didn't play well last game or whatever and and you know, that'll be always get that always get used as a stick against players, regardless of what they do. And I see it whether they you know, do some media punditry work, whether they go into a different career, whatever they do, you know, whatever they want to do. Always people are saying, well, you didn't play well last game. You need to concentrate on football, stick to football. Well, actually, no, some things are more important than football. You know, I love Aston Villa. This is an Aston Villa podcast. This is about football. But actually, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's a very small thing. It, it's not that important. It doesn't matter uh, that what he's fighting for, what he's speaking out against affects so many more people and is so much, so much more important to what's going on in the world. Yeah, you know, I think the the best situation for me is there's kids looking up to Tyro Mings and it's such a good person to look up to. And I'm not saying people like Jack Grealish or Matty Cash or Ollie Watkins aren't. It's like Tyro Mings is standing for something, like every inch of his personality is standing for something, whether it's Aston Villa, whether it's Korea, whether it's, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter, whether it's something, he's, he's standing for it. And when people come at him, he, he comes with facts, like he doesn't miss. Like his mind is made up and it's not just a bias. He's lived... A, a incredibly varied life from the injuries to his childhood to breaking through. He's he's been through the mill as a normal person and you know as a black human. He, he's had a lot to deal with, and again, he deserves this placement for the Cyril Regis Award. He deserves to be the main man at Aston Villa. Look, he makes some mistakes on the pitch sometimes. Who doesn't? Um, but I think there's a lot of people gunning for him 
now because of what he said and what he's done. And that's not just Villa fans, it's people in the, in the mainstream who are looking out for him to slip up. And yeah, he does. He's a, a, a cocky defender. He he loves to show off. He loves to do people over. He loves to win the day. He's got to put himself out there and make mistakes. And he's going to get more critics than ever before because of what he's done. And look how he shouldered it. Like since the Bulgaria game, look at look at everything he's done. Nothing has knocked him at all. And you think if I was him, I would have let. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have coped with that. I can't cope with people telling me to comb my hair on claret and blue no more. I can't. You know, if someone was racially abusing me during my first England game, it'd be over. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um, yeah. It shows the strength of the man, and and you know, I'm sure it's affecting him as well. He spoke about mental health, like we've said. So. You know, it's good that he's shown a bit of resilience then. And I hope he doesn't have to show resilience. I hope it doesn't have to impact him and he's, he's able to enjoy his football and get on with it. But that isn't the way the world works, unfortunately. But, you know, let, let's go on to football. You know, I don't want to I don't want to labor the point. You know, these are important points we're talking about. And we do try and cover the important topics on, on, on this podcast and when we can. But football is the main reason why we're here. And there's obviously a game coming up on Monday, which is an important game after an, a, a loss at home against Brighton. A frustrating game where you know, really we should have at least got a draw out of that game if it wasn't for the late controversy, but also the chances we missed in the first half. But it's a, it's a chance to uh, to go away from home again. And, you know, we've been so fantastic away from home. We're playing West Ham again in decent form and, and, and have done well themselves. What, what do you make of our, what do you make of the, I suppose, the difference in how we're playing at home versus how we're playing away, James? I mean, what were your thoughts on that? It's just such an Aston Villa problem to have, like in the best possible way that we suddenly fixed our every away nightmare we've had for the last like five years. Um, but it's come at the cost of home form. We've had some good look, we've had some good home performances. We batted Liverpool. We were resilient against Sheffield United. Since then it's been a bit tough, but I think we, we're kind of riding a, a good wave right now where we're picking up results away and uh, dropping them at home. But look, it's just it's I don't want to simplify it, but it's just such one of those things because if I look at the last two games we've ever played, Southampton at home, Southampton and Brighton, have been defined by pure individual errors, whether it's Tyrone Mings and Konza getting sucked into a really high line in the opposition half to giving James Ward Prowse free cracks at a good free kick uh, against Southampton uh, directly outside the box. So when it comes down to those games in Arsenal, Villa have played largely the same. They haven't missed a beat. It's just at home that they're bold, more adventurous, and they forget themselves. Whereas away, they can't do that against Arsenal, whomever, Leicester away. You, you can't forget who you are. You can't forget your Aston Villa. You can't forget the opposition. We're at home. That they're losing that. They're getting they're getting sucked into the game too much and getting frustrated. And I think that comes across in the Leeds, Southampton, Brighton games, especially. Whereas away. They're a bit. They're, they're thinking a bit more. They're a bit more free because they're, they're thinking. They're they're acknowledging an opposition and knowing they can't play their game at all times, but making the best of it. Um, but at home, it's a it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's a good point you make, and it's surprising, really, considering there's no fans at, at the ground. I mean, do you think we need to just adapt our, our style a little bit and 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 sort of just play play to the fact that you know there are no fans there. There's no pressure on us to to set the pace or anything like that, and actually play a little bit more like we do away, which is a bit more measured and a bit more disciplined. Uh, do that kind of style, play that kind of style at home as well. Yeah, it's not like I'm not going to sit here and say Villa should sit back at home in the same way they do away, but you know. It's, it's nothing wrong with Brighton attacking you. 
you don't have to cram them down at their side of the pitch all the time. You know, they're, they're a team that has an expansive style of play and will counter you the way they did. So just don't give them the easy way to score. Like Southampton, they're a team with a distinct play style. They're a team with a one of the I would say one of the all-time Premier League greats at set piece taken at this point in James Ward Prowse. He's been God, he's like 26. He's been doing this since he was 17. The last nine years, you've seen him score free kicks like that every season. Every single season, top corner highlight reels. And it, you know, you, you give it him like that. So Villa's thing at home is just it's just giving the opposition the easiest way into the game, which is the typical Brighton counter, the Southampton set piece. It's so it's really annoying um, because they, they didn't give it to Liverpool. The only team that's really played us off the park that I think it, it's Leeds. Um, we gave those games to Brighton and Southampton. Brighton and Southampton won those games because of us, but well, not because of them. Because we did it. We did it to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that uh, Barkley going off injured in the first minute really set the tone for the game. And it, you could you could sense it was going to be a frustrating game. Looking ahead to the to the West Ham game, obviously we're playing away. Like I've said. It'll be fantastic away from home, 100% record away from home. The last game we played at home against Arsenal was probably, I, I would say, even you know even more of an impressive performance than Liverpool game, really, where I know we won 7-2 and I've made this point a number of times, but it's just the way that we dominated that game against Arsenal. You know, we just they didn't really have a sniff, um, which was so impressive. And, you know, they were certainly not in-form, in-form team, but, you know, certainly playing well. They just beat Man United 1-0, so... Um, looking at West Ham game, you know, West Ham, again, a team in form. They've won the last two games. They've, they started the season quite poorly, losing to Newcastle. And, uh, you know, I think they had two losses off the, off the bat. And then to, and then they, they sort of bounced back with Wolves uh, wins against uh, Leicester and Wolves uh, and then draws against Man City and Spurs. And then the last two games, they've probably played two worst sides in the league or two of the worst sides in the league in Sheffield United and Fulham and, and sort of gone past in, in sort of, uh, well, you know, Fairly comfortable fashion, but you know, one nil win still. Um, so they're you know they're certainly in good form. How do you see how do you see West Ham setting up against us? And uh, you know, what, what what are your thoughts on them as uh, the season so far? And and how much of a danger can they be for Villa on on the day? I was really worried about West Ham um, for their sake. I thought, you know, I, I'm one of these people, and I don't. I, I don't analyse things correctly, which seems it's weird to say. I'm always biased for the last season. So I always think Villa are going to have a tough season this season because of last season. I always think West Ham are going to have a uh, tough season this season because of last season. Both proved me wrong from day one. And I think it's just that little bit of stability. They found that that, that having the back up against the wall for so long, is it's, it's for both teams, I think it's really given them a kick up the backside. And I think I, I'm going into these like Sam Allardyce football and Tony Pulis football tropes here, but they were living life dangerously last season. They've started a new season. They've both survived. And they've just found so much breathing room to kind of play their game, be free and not worry. And I think for when you compare West Ham to maybe a Sheffield United, a Fulham or a West Brom, West Ham out of those teams, they're just a team who just absolutely, they can just go into their only game, not even caring about result at this point. They're, they're doing their own game and not in any danger like Villa. So I think it, it, it would benefit them to be, well, it would benefit us for them to be a bit more Villa like they are at home and just give us the, give us the game off uh, off their back, make some mistakes and uh, get let the pressure get in and let Villa run them over like we did to Arsenal. Um, but no, I think, I think honestly, judging from the table position, I haven't seen much of West Ham this season. Admittedly, judging from table position alone, it should be a tough game because we are, I think, a few points above them, one place above them. But we've got the game in hand against Man City, so you look at that, it should be equal. But I'm a Villa fan. I've got a massive Villa bias. I watched every Villa game so far this season. 
I can't say, I, I want to say we're going to blow him away, Omar. I want to say that. I want to commit to that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it'll, it'll be an interesting game because, you know, West Ham, like us, are, are definitely better on the counter-attack. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how both teams set up. I think if, we, if we're if we dictating the game and they've got Antonio on the break, then, you know, it could be a difficult afternoon for us, uh, evening for us, sorry, even. Um, because, you know, I think they, they definitely play better on the counter because they've got the likes of Jared Bowen, um, Fornells and, and Antonio as, as the front three that can definitely make things happen and, and have done well on the break. They seem to be, I mean, what David Moyes has done well this season, I think, and, and credit to him as well, because obviously he's got a lot of criticism, is they, they've defensively been very, very sound, and that's what they've built their foundation on. Uh, you know, they've hardly conceded many chances. They've been pretty solid at the back. They're playing that three, sort of 3-4-3 three, three formation, if you like, with Aaron Cresswell, who's been fantastic at left centre-back, really, and uh, a role new to him. Masuaka, left wing-back, playing really well. They've got, uh, in midfield, they've got, Almost like the new Fellaini uh, for Moyes, which is Suchek, which is probably their danger man apart from Antonio, I would say. You know, he and he, he worries me with set pieces, you know, because Villa haven't been great at set pieces, let's be honest, especially I'm thinking back to that Southampton game. I mean, for you who, uh, I mean, we'll go, we'll go into some questions from some listeners as well. Um, and, and, you know, I think we had one of these questions from, from uh, Butterbeam to Christian. He said, which West Ham players could catch us out on Monday? So I'll be interested to hear your views on that. I think two that stand out to me have already been named, and one of them's Mikhail Antonio and Jared Bowen. Jared Bowen's got this like trademark cutting on the inside, get to the shooting position centrally, and uh, punish a team. He's done it. I think it must be. It seems like every game Jared Bowen's played against us, he's done that. I think he'd done it against us uh, in our eventual promotion season. I think the first game of the season before, when he was just this lad who'd signed from Hereford, coming this sprightly young lad who's just done our backline over and scored and. We've reverted to chucking on Chris Samber up front. He's done that much like hemorrhage to Steve Bruce. It caused him some pain. Um, Jared Bowen scares me. He's got pace. He's electric. He's dynamic. He's got kind of all those Jack Grealish qualities, but he's just not Jack Grealish. But that doesn't mean he's nothing to worry about. Like I would still be very worried about um, Jared Bowen, even though we've got a better player, um, a better equivalent on our side in Jack Grealish. Michael Antonio seems like the ultra Keenan Davis as well. He's got all all the things that, you know, when Keenan Davis come on the pitch and he's bullying defenders and he just lacked that finish. That never seems to be coming, but it should be. Antonio's got that. Antonio is just such an understated character in the Premier League. No one, everyone, no, no one seems to rate him outside of um, fantasy football managers. No one seems to give him the credit he deserves and he's adapted. He's made his own, a new role his own and he, all of his best qualities are coming out and he's a real handful to deal with. And I, I think what scares me is how Konza and Mings will try to deal with him because Antonio is the, the, the same character as them and he he will he will see that as a challenge and he will rise to it as well. And I think a striker rising to that challenge is, is dangerous rather than a defender meeting it because if the striker wins, they're through on goal and they're bullied our defenders. I think Antonio's got the personality and all the attributes to cause us a, a real problem because that's the we we all pl- we play with our kind of, we play on a knife's edge because that's the way we have to play because that's the way we want to play and use our, our, all of our players. We, we don't want to be conservative. We, we want to challenge the opponent. That means we're going to have some problems with Antonio for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would definitely be more comfortable if uh, Sebastian Hallow was playing and I know he scored yeah. last game, but I'm pretty sure Antonio will come back in because he's such an important player for them, as you as you said. Um, and, you know, last game, last uh, last year, I was at a home game against West Ham and Haller played and, and, you know, he had, I think, maybe a one one good chance, but we we kept him at bay, really. They didn't really have many chances apart from that. All, all the chances came on the counter. 
Um, but but this game, will, yeah, like I say, will be an interesting one. Uh, I mean, looking at Villa as well, and we'll come on to them in a second. Um, I mean, Antonio, yes, does worry the hell out of me. I, I do think Mings and Condo will be up for the physical battle, um, but this pace on the break could be crucial. Um, but but looking at Villa, um, we've got, again, some questions and, and comments from fans. So again, it'll be interesting to hear your views uh, around how we how we sort of set up. Um, we've got, a, well, not co- a comment from Gaz Oaks, who likes to make a funny comment now and again. <laughs> he said, we could win this game. We could lose the game. Exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is exciting. I suppose that's a good. That's it. I know he's, he's a sort of tongue-in-cheek comment, but that's quite. It is quite exciting because with Villa, you don't, you just don't know at the moment, do you? Because I think last season it was like every game was pretty much yeah we're going to lose this, and and it was a massive surprise if we managed to get anything out of the game. Uh, whereas this season we're a proper Premier League outfit, and we you know we can match any team, we can win any game pretty much, which is great to see. Uh, Jess has said it's going to be difficult without Barkley purely because it's an upset to our rhythm. Should be an interesting game. My prediction for this worth is a draw. Uh, Ross Haywood says, Huran has to start, in my opinion. People seem to have forgotten those first two wins of the season before Ross arrived and we still played as well as we did with Connor. Before the Liverpool game, a large section of our fans didn't want him dropped straight away for Barkley too. I mean, on that point, obviously Barkley's going to be missing for at least the next two games. What what would you look to do? Uh, would you continue with Traore in, that, in, in, in the role that we saw him in uh, against against Brighton or would you look to change it up and maybe bring Harahan in? I think is getting there. He's adapting well. Um, but I think... It's like one of those things. He's gonna be. He's gonna come good in the second half of the season, or you know, later down the road for us before Christmas. So he's he's gonna come really good for us, and I think that will then give us the bias that we should have been starting him all along. Whereas bedding him in a bit more as it will pay some benefits off. But I think Connor Harahan intrigues me because he did have a very good start to the season. We were playing very good with him in the team. Then we took it another level with Ross Barkley because of the player Ross Barkley is. I wouldn't count Harahan out at all. I think I know the set piece is the obvious thing, but he was getting really involved into kind of our final third play as well. He was finishing off moves and creating them. Then he's dropped for, didn't come out of nowhere, Ross Barkley came and you can't not start Ross Barkley if you're a club like Villa, just, you know, one season after being promoted, signing this play, he was, you know, the next best thing, not three, four years ago. You know, you can't not do that, but I think there, there is room for Harahan now to to kind of jump back in, even if Ross Barkley's out two, three games. I think Harahan gives us a little bit of a different role rather than the kind of two chugging piston engine of um, McGinn and Barkley. I think Harahan's a bit, there's a bit more technique. There's a bit, bit more, not pondering, but a bit more thoughtful on the ball. And I think he, he does that while he gets into the final third thinks. And it's always like a, a kind of Rolls Royce pass through to Grealish or the, the running strike. That, uh, we haven't exactly been missing it because other people have been doing that, but he, he can do it well. And he's got a set piece to add to us as well. So I'm I'm all for Conor Harahan. You know, I think he's been a he's been an understated character, even though he's done so much for Villa. Kind of te- was it a ten goal season not so long ago um, from midfield. I know it's in the Championship, but his rise has been something to uh, document and kind of shouldn't be writing him off. Yeah, I mean, definitely for value for money. If you look at value for money signings, and we haven't had many of them. Let's be honest. You've got McGinn and Harahan. They're two notable exceptions. Um, you know, they've done so well, Harren, how much we paid for him and what he's done for the club. You know, he's always, he'll always be one of my favourite players. Um, you know, we've made this point on, on podcast, Harren's definitely suited to a certain type of game. We saw that against Fulham. I think that was definitely a kind of game for him. West Ham, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come in uh, and play either as a number 10 position or maybe sit back with Louise and let McGinn get forward. Um, and, you know, either either or really. I think he, he, he interacts well with Jack. Likewise, you know, he can play from deep as well. I suppose the only... I suppose the only concern for me is the fact that West Ham are quite a physical side. 
Um, and I don't think that Haran's that's his best quality. You know, Declan Rice, I think, is a great player. I know people, some people don't rate him, but I really rate him. Suchek as well in midfield. You know, they they do try try and dominate their midfield and, and sort of exert themselves physically on, on the opposition team. So, you know, Haran maybe might not suit him. But then again, you know, we don't really have that much of a physical midfield. Let's be honest. You know, we're probably missing that destroyer type midfielder. So maybe someone like Nakambo might suit the game. But again, you know, he hasn't really played much, hasn't got much of a look in. So it's an interesting one. But I mean, I wouldn't be too averse to to maybe give him Troy run of games if Barkley's going to be out for two or three games, you know, let him settle into the team. You know, I, I thought he did fairly well um against Brighton. What did you what did you what did you make of him? Yeah, it's a surprise. I think it was a negative surprise as well because of because Barkley's went off and you think can he will he won't he but there were some good pieces of play and the ball in for the goal you know, is a peach. So, like, I know probably did him down a little bit, but I'd, 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 I kind of want to see him more on the wing up front rather than in midfield, which was a bit of a, it came as a surprise to me. I didn't, I thought we'd, we'd shift it around and Jack would settle it back into the middle, but that left wing is now, uh, now Jack's to do with whatever he wants with. So, um, those flank opportunities, especially with the way Trezor is playing, going to be tough for Trero to come by. So, again, I wouldn't be surprised. It's like, Either way, if it's Harahan starting or Traore starting in midfield, you wouldn't be completely surprised. And, you know, that seems a shock after after what we expected from Traore, which was to be, you know, the improvement on Trezeguet, the improvement on Algarzi, that starting winger uh, inside forward. And it's not been that at all. It's kind of subverted all those expectations. So it's a bit odd. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that's to do with Trezeguet as well. I think he's, he's just gone up a different level or oh, another level, sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, I know he missed two easy chances and, you know, he should have scored, but I think he got some unfair stick because it's one of those games, you know, anyone could miss those chances. Jack really should have missed those chances plenty of times. You know, he's, uh, you know, we've seen that plenty of times before. And I think Trezeguet was probably our best player on the day. You know, he he was definitely the one making things happen and, and you know, taking on two or three players at a time, you know, and, and having those shots off. And, yeah, he did fairly well. And I think the fact that he's played so well and up to his game is, is, is probably because Truro has come in as a competition. And I think Truro did fairly well, but, Either way, like you say, I think um, you know it'll be an interesting to see. I think if we if we're looking to counter, then maybe someone like Haran might might work well. But then again, yeah, Troy is, is is supposedly quick, although we haven't seen too much of it yet on the break. So either way, it'll be interesting. I, I personally think that he will probably stick with Troy and try and give him a run of games. But we will see. I mean, just before we move on to to DDACs, what's your what's your prediction for for Monday? What do you think the scoreline will be? Um. 2-0 Aston Villa and we'll hit him on the break both times Ollie Watkins won't miss nice I like it I like it good I hope so ever, ever, no, anyone who comes on here always predicts a Villa win and they have to I think it's, <laughs> you, it's, can't, you can't not predict a Villa win uh, but I'm going to go again I'm going to go again. I, I'm going to go against that rule <laughs> and I'm going to say 2-2 uh, uh, so I think uh, yeah I think it's going to be a tight game I think both teams will, will counter well and I think it could be an open game. I know I was talking about West Ham's defence and our defence, etc. But I actually think there might be goals in it. And I, I'm hoping that we, because we're playing at, at night time, we'll, we'll probably be the best version of Aston Villa. Uh, I know Sunday nights is normally our night, but maybe Monday night might be the new Sunday night. Who knows? Absolutely. But, uh, we look forward to that game and um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have we'll have a review of that game. Obviously, post the game, lockdown, lowdown, we'll have the usual crew with us. So look out for that. Uh, but but that, that's all really for, for that game. And uh now I suppose it's time to to move out, move on to the the main part of the show, the part that everyone loves, and that is DDACs. Didier six. So just for for listeners who this is the first time you're listening, 
DDSC's is our version of Room 101, Aston Villa Room 101. So uh, James has three choices that he wants. He can pick you know, anything Villa-related or it could be loosely Villa-related as well that, that he wants to put wants to go into room 101 he gets 60 seconds to argue his point and then we debate and i decide for each one he gets in he gets two points and there's a leaderboard going on at the moment i think uh there's about 25 people at the top with four out of six so far so you're in uh, <laughs> a stiff competition mate so uh let, let's see how you get on uh uh what's your what's your first pick and and uh actually let me start the clock first um so your first pick go it's Alan Hutton, hey, I can't stand it. I can't stand us uh, disrespecting Alan Hutton anymore. Omar, I won't put up with it anymore. I won't put up with us having to accept that court heroes must bag 10 goals a season like Albert Adoma. No, that can be terrible. That can be awful. <laughs> you know, we're here to celebrate the mundane brilliance and what Alan Hutton has given us is mundane brilliance. The goal he scored against Birmingham City is a legendary Aston Villa goal. Maybe he didn't put in the best performances of a right-back that has ever put in for Aston Villa. He didn't top the charts in interceptions per night. He'll cover the heat map on that right side. But he splattered wingers. He gave it all every 90 minutes. He was a true villain and he had one of the best Villa goals of all time. So yeah, you can say he was good, but that doesn't mean he's actually good. You can say you liked him. That doesn't mean he's brilliant. Alan Hutton has to stop. Yeah, You got in there just in time. Well done, <laughs> firstly. Um, Alan Hutton hey. well okay let me give you my views on Alan Hutton I think he overall was a very poor player yes in terms of his performances and, and what he did especially in the Premier League at the same time I understand he's a cult hero and I, I don't think you can knock his passion for the club and what he did for the club um, you know this this notion that he took a pay cut and all that kind of stuff I don't really know you know what, who knows what other offer he had and whether Aston Villa was his only choice I don't really know so I can't comment on that but he definitely loves the club and he definitely speaks well of the club and he definitely gave it his all, especially in that promotion season. Um, at the same time, I don't think it's any coincidence the fact that he was out of the team when we run on a 10 winning run. Um, I think as a player, he wasn't good enough. But at the same time, I don't think he deserves, I don't think he deserves the hate because, you know, we've had plenty of players who have been good enough and have treated us like crap, let's be honest. Um, and other players who haven't been good enough and treated us like crap and, you know, they're probably more revered than Alan Hutton. Um, so it's one of those, it's a difficult one. I, I probably wouldn't have put it into room 101 if it, we did this episode a week ago, I'll be honest. Um, because I'm not the biggest Alan Hutton fan, but at the same time, seeing him score that goal and seeing the passion, uh, you know, obviously it was a, it was a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Well, yesterday actually, sorry. Uh, you know, we've seen the highlight of the goal and, and what it meant to him or what it meant to the club. Um, and for that reason and for that goal on its own which will live long in the memory of a lot of Villa fans um, I think yeah it goes into room 101 man like he's my definition of court hero and that that is not a good player but someone that you can look at and smile you know you can realise that was a good thing not a brilliant thing not a attractive thing but a good thing yeah yeah so uh, yeah Alan Hutton hate goes into room 101 I'm comfortable with that Right, uh, your second one. Uh, ready, start, go. It's got to be these Villa dads on Twitter that are commenting on, on girls' pictures all the time. It's it's got to stop. The first has got to stop. Wait, wait. Let's stop. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Let me <laughs> let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. That's going straight into room one hundred and one. I'm sorry, but that <laughs> that is the much. most weird. 
thing on Twitter. It's so pervy. I don't understand it. Like, it, you know, you'll see them and they'll be like, uh, proud husband and father of three kids. Uh, and then the comments that they're putting on these, these young girls' pictures, it's just like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, people can see this, you know. People, yeah. people, this is out in the public. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing? I don't understand it. And, you know, I know obviously some people are like, oh, well, you know, uh, the, the girls are getting it for, are doing it for attention or whatever and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't mean you have to comment on it. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to be a pervert. <laughs> I don't yeah, understand not, it. Not, your, not like to, to the Villa dad, and speaking directly to any Villa dad who might be listening. You know, it's not your attention that's been looked for if attention is being looked for at all. Um, it, look it's not like the worst thing in the world it's just when you see you're like it it, it, it's not revolting yeah yeah no 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 i'm less straightforward one uh james i mean yeah but yeah easy that was yeah so villa dads yeah room 101 straight in number three ready yeah go uh Okay, this was, this was a difficult one. I had a lot for this one, a lot of serious topics I wanted, and I know I've only got 60 seconds, so I'm just going to come out of it. It is um, people asking any journalist whether there is transfer news, and it is specifically related to Aston Villa, um, when they might say, oh, um, I've just buried my dog. It's like any news on uh, Ben Rama and stuff like that. That is just transfer news happens when it happens like no one's hiding anything because it's such an odd you know yourself it's an odd stupid thing like it happens when it happens and people are, are very very uh thirsty for transfer shall we put it? it's like it's like the villa dad thing again it's just an opposite it's just a younger generation of villa dads the pre-villa dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah okay yeah i mean what uh thanks for that i mean before i comment on it what's been what's been the worst or that you've seen either to yourself or another journalist that you've seen a villa fan ask for transfer news what's been the worst sort of context that you've seen i have seen it's like on the the maradona stuff yesterday god rest his soul people putting out like tributes to maradona and people going any news on a uh, timo werner starting on and it's not even transfer news it's just like mindless like football rubbish like any, any news on Grealish to man city just stuff like that like on a on a heartfelt tribute to maradona uh it's it's just constantly things that like someone might be speaking about like black lives matter or you know a tribute to justin fashioner um back in the day um and there might be just some just rubbish under there about any news on this happening on the weekend it's like he's not just going to tell you though is he after you've done that like and it's just odd yeah no i mean uh, this is an interesting one i don't i mean I, pr- I probably wouldn't have put it into room 101 but then when i started the villa talks podcast and i put the inst- i set up the instagram page the first message i ever received and considering this is the villa podcast with about two followers at the time uh, and you know we haven't got that many more followers now really in in, in terms of instagram followers because we you know we're not we're not that sort of uh that regular instagram if you like um but the, the second the first message i ever got was some random you know no no profile picture and all he sent to me was have you got any done deals yet any information on done deals yet please and i was like what <laughs> i was like what why are you asking me i don't know <laughs> i was like what i don't know but like why are you asking me why have you messaged me this i'm just a, a normal villa fan talking about villa like it doesn't make any sense so well, I probably wouldn't have put it in, but yeah, because of that, just generally as a point, I think Villa fans as well, I think all Villa, all sports fans and social media is a big, big influence on this, are so thirsty for transfer news and they want to be, you know, even like the fake 
ITKs and just, you know, I think the 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 impact it has on your sort of mental state, the, the transfer window and that kind of stuff. You know, people get addicted to transfers, they're addicted to looking on the internet. And I, I've probably done it myself and I know I've done it mm. myself. So just as a general point, I think you know, just that deserves to go in as well. But uh so yeah, as a general general point, I think yeah, football transfers, asking for football transfer information at the wrong time and ITKs goes into room one oh one. happy with that it can all it can all just look i'm not against it like i'm not against transfer news in general because there's an entire kind of shadow business that thrives off transfer news and keeps some people in in bizarre jobs but it you know it's it's just one of those things i think like for me i don't mind speaking about transfers i don't know very much but when you do know something you share it it's, it's nice to inform people but then there's people who are like just say go into your dms and go just no hi, how are you? It's just transfer news, mate. And then you say no, and they block you or something. It's like it's a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, obviously, it's quite, I suppose, ironic putting us putting something transfer related into room one one when we've got yourself on work for Birmingham Mail. Let's be honest. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> they they thrive off transfer news. Let's let's be honest. Let's be let's be frank. Uh, but yeah, no, well done. First person ever to get a hundred percent. Well done. <sighs> Amazing. It's an honor. Six out of six. So uh, thanks, James, for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, really interesting conversation. You know, we've uh, we've talked, touched on some really serious issues as well and some lighthearted issues, talked about football. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, really, a bit of an emotional roller coaster, if you like. Um, but uh, thank you for your time. Good luck with the AVFC Extra podcast as well. I've really been enjoying some of the deep, deep dive analysis that you've been doing yeah well thank you very much it's, it's been a been an absolute pleasure to come on it's you know one of my favorite villa podcasts there are so many i've been listening to uh, up the villa podcast but villa talks is you know as i said it's like uh saturday night live for villa fans it's like you gotta tune in you, you can't miss it you you've got to listen to the, the the villa fan base live on air at a late night ramble it's got to be done it absolutely it's a, it's a must do for a villa fans. so yeah it's been an honor absolute pleasure and I hope that I didn't put too many people off with my rambling because you've had some some amazing guests so far. So I hope I haven't diluted the uh, the quality. No, not at all, mate. You've definitely upped it, I think, um, from, from my perspective. And, you know, it's been great to have you on, hear your thoughts. And, and this is what this is about. This is a platform to have your say. You know, there's no there's no filter on here. You know, you can, you can say what you like. And, you know, we may agree with it. We may not. We have fans from, you know, all different sides of the country, all different sides of the world, who have different opinions. And that's what this is about. You know, give your opinion. We'll debate it end of the day that's what it's about so thank you for your time once again uh, we'll be back like i said with the lockdown lowdown uh, post west ham game review of that game with the usual crew um please do subscribe and follow us on whatever podcast platform you're on we're all on all the major ones if you haven't done it already if you're on apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating it really helps us out a lot if you're on twitter that's our really main social media platform we're on there it's at villa podcast or one word please do follow us um, please do interact with us. You know, it's been a great first two months, like I've said, and here's to a, a good future and moving ahead. We've got some exciting guests lined up for you as well in the future. I'll let you know more about that as and when that as and when that happens. But apart from that, thank you, James, for your time again, and we'll see you next time. Uh, up the villa, up the villa. I love it. I love it.